This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Episode 18 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards Podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and I am extremely excited to be joined on this episode by my favorite actor currently working. I've got to tell you, that's what he is. His name is Ben Mendelsohn, and while many people still don't know his name, I can tell you he is as good as they get. He is known for his Emmy-nominated work on Netflix's Bloodline. He also recently received a Spirit Award nomination for his supporting performance in the movie Mississippi Grind, which I caught at its Toronto International Film Festival premiere back in September. And he is next going to be seen in Rogue One, a Star Wars story, which will make him much more of a household name and face than he's been up to this point. But really, prior to five years ago, few people in this country had ever heard of him. And then the movie Animal Kingdom put him on the map, followed by a number of other strong performances in movies like The Place Beyond the Pines and Start Up. And now he is on his way. And so I look forward to sharing that conversation with you. But first of all, let's go back and talk about what's happened over the last few days since our previous episode. The big news this week, of course, was that SAG-AFTRA and the Hollywood Foreign Press Association announced their nominations for the SAG Awards and the Golden Globe Awards, respectively. They had very different announcements, but both quite interesting. The SAG nominations included Best Ensemble noms for Straight Outta Compton, The Big Short, and even Trumbo, three movies that weren't on a lot of people's lists. And it did not nominate one movie that was on virtually everyone's list, The Martian. That did not show up in the ensemble category or even in the lead acting category for Matt Damon. So that was a setback for that movie. And Spotlight, a movie that was also nominated for Best Ensemble, was not nominated for any of its supporting performances. Some people thought it would get multiple nominations in that category, but in the end, its only acting nomination came in the Best Supporting Actress category for somebody who few people thought would register there, Rachel McAdams. So that was an interesting day on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we got a very different list from the HFPA, which nominated Carol for a leading five nominations on the film side and made some other interesting decisions like nominating Alicia Vikander twice in the lead actress category for The Danish Girl and in the supporting actress category for Ex Machina. Meanwhile, the Trumbo troops performed well again with Brian Cranston and Helen Mirren registering noms for the second day in a row. And several people who were overlooked on Wednesday showed up in the nominations on Thursday, including Matt Damon, as well as Jennifer Lawrence for Joy and Will Smith for Concussion. So what do we take away from all of this? It's still a little too soon to know, although we do know that when people receive both SAG and Golden Globe acting nominations, it's very rare that they don't go on to receive an Oscar nomination, although there are at least two or three exceptions in most years, so the race is still very much up for grabs. On Monday, we'll learn yet another set of nominations when the Broadcast Film Critics Association, of which I am a member, announces its nominations, and later on in the day, when Star Wars has its world premiere in Hollywood. Those should both help to further clarify a very wide-open and interesting race. But for now, let's go back to a guy who, to me, deserves serious consideration for more awards than just the Spirit Awards for his performance as a lovable loser named Jerry who just can't stop gambling in the buddy movie directed by Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden, the same people who made Half Nelson. I'm talking about Ben Mendelsohn in Mississippi Grind. Let's go to that. Thank you very much for coming in and doing this. It's a treat to have you. So maybe you could just catch us up. What have you been? What are you up to at the moment? I've just uh, I've just finished on the uh, on the Star Wars yes. uh, film, um, and I am 
in the middle of the Bloodline series, yes. series two. So it will be off to uh, Florida. Uh, next week, I'm pretty sure. Are you getting any sleep? Or yeah, yeah, I yeah. just caught a, uh, I just caught a week. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think, I, yeah, I had a week. I just had a week, so uh, that's uh, that's pretty good. Terrific. Well, before we get into Mississippi grind, which is a big part of what I wanted to talk to you about, I wanted to just go backwards if we can, and you know, see if you remember when and why you initially tried acting, and then when you knew that this was what you wanted to do. Yeah, absolutely. So I um, I had been in prep school here for about six to eight months, I think, in Pennsylvania. I got kicked out. Um, it was a boarding school. I went to live with my grandmother in Australia, and I took drama as an easy subject. Um, we had to do a play, and um, I memorized the whole play i've got a very good memory for you know song lyrics and words uh so the teacher got me to do the play the whole play and i did it all you know at about five times the speed and that was a you know that that went down a treat you know (laughs) i was sort of like uh the the you know outcast school nerd and then i was uh then i wasn't right so um so that felt pretty good. And a, then a buddy of mine rang and he told me that he'd seen an ad in the paper for a television company in, in Melbourne. Went along, got a job. And um, once I started working, I, um, I really didn't want to... Uh, <clears throat> I just didn't want it to end. It yeah. was... Uh, uh, I, I did a show called The Henderson Kids, which was like a children's television miniseries. Went for, we shot it for six months. And it was like having a family. That's really what it was. It was like a very intensive sort of, you know, working all day and around each other every night and then, you know, same again. And, and that was a kind of, that was really magical at that time. I would have been 15. Mm. So I didn't want it to stop. And I was... I just wanted to do whatever I had to do in order to get another job. So that's how it started. How did your family feel about this kind of career path? My grandmother was very supportive. My father was concerned. My father was uh, was and is uh, a scientist, and he um, he uh, you know he was uh, uh, quite concerned that. you know uh, that his uh, his eldest son was um, you know taking off in this sort of fairly whimsical looking direction. But um, my grandmother, his mother, said to him, "You know, look, you've got to let him find his way in the world." You know, and um, and so uh, and so I did. And um, he is uh, he's a very proud dad. Now, uh, he, and he's been a very look. He's also been a very proud dad for a for a very long time, um, which uh, which is really really nice. Uh, my mother is no longer with us, um, but uh, yeah, she. I, I had a pretty good career in Australia for a lot mm-hmm. of years before I came here. So she had gotten to see um, things working out uh, pretty well in that direction. Now, at the at the outset, around the time of Henderson Kids, and then going forward, what did you think long term? Did you say I want to be in films, or did you have any sort of? How did you envision the career playing out? I didn't look. I honestly didn't think that much about it. I mean, to me at the time, it was really. Um, it was sort of, I mean, I just sort of thought that, you know, if I could just stay doing what I was doing, more or less, I'd be pretty happy. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I wasn't one of the leads in, in this show. I mean, uh, and that, you know, that wasn't really important. It was more just the thing of being around the whole crew and the, all of that sort of stuff. But I didn't. Look, I, I, I suppose the easiest way to, to explain it is this. When I was doing Bloodline, I had the um, the unit uh, photographer take a photo of um, uh, Sissy, uh, Sam, and my seats when um, when we were doing a scene together, 
and um, he looked at me. I said, well, this is for 15-year-old me, because yeah. if you'd have told me then, I um, I would have died of happiness, mm -hmm. and I would have felt like, you know, it, it was well beyond anything that was... I mean, it just, you know, it wasn't even... It was just a different world. Right. It wasn't even conceivable. It was, you know... So I did not have grand... Um, uh, I didn't have grand ambitions, but I did have... Um, I like to think my heroes were uh, pretty solid, though. The people that I looked up to were the classic sort of people, I think, that, you know, actors looked up to. And if they came up through the 80s, um, you know, your, your De Niro's, your Scorsese school and back to the, you know, 50s method school, etc., etc. So I... I you know, I, I think that's very important. I think who you um, <clears throat> who you love is uh, matters. I yeah. think if you're a practitioner of these, you know, of whatever it is. Well, one of the things that I find very interesting is that people who have seen you only have seen your work only in the last, let's say, five years, think that you are you've always been a bad guy. That's been your oh, yeah. thing, you know, yeah, from yeah. Animal Kingdom through yeah. Bloodline and sure. number, but. What I understand to be the case is that there have been very almost defined phases of very different things throughout your career and from the time you were a child actor. So can you talk through how these have kind of evolved? What were those different ways that people saw you over the years? Well, I think to be uh, broad, they were essentially... Um, um, they were... First of all, they were kind of a, a sort of a hyperactive um, kind of uh, delinquenty flavour, <laughs> and that then gave way to a sort of a wide-eyed, you know, boy that just, you know, sweet, innocent boy that wants to learn how he might be able to kiss the girl <laughs> phase. Um, and then after that, there was uh, what... Um, or I guess could be best described as a laddish sort of a phase. There's a there's a term in Australia called a larrikin, which I guess is like a dude, okay. if you like. Yeah. And so uh, I was, um, I think, seen as being, you know, a kind of a quintessential um, Australian, um, you know, suburban working class guy. Is a larrikin, the way you describe it, is that it almost sounds to me like what for a long time we associated with Mr. McConaughey in this country. Is that... Oh, yeah, but no, I think, I think, um, yeah, I would have thought it was more like, um, it's probably closer to like, um, maybe if you were to put Mr. McConaughey with um, the the guy that uh, Sean Penn played uh, in... Uh, Spicoli, yeah. yeah, thank you. <laughs> if you kind of mash those yeah. two together... Okay, that, that was would, you. Because m m Mr. McConaughey was... Um, was uh, yeah, it was a lot sexier, I think, than <laughs> than what a larrikin right. is. A larrikin okay. is sort of yeah, is more of a uh, just a bro, yeah, just a sort of a bro, yeah. or yeah, yeah, that that's it, yeah. That's <laughs> so it. where where did the bad guy thing start? It um it started. I mean, David had um, let me see. I I guess I must have um. Uh, I must have done one or two things. I think I did a cable show that, uh, and that guy was a was a, a bit of an asshole, but he was more <laughs> like um, a philandering um, kind of uh, dude. I, I look, David. Um, this is David Michelle. David Michelle, yeah. pardon me, who who is the writer director of Animal Kingdom, um, had me in mind uh for for that role but that was um i think pretty i mean certainly in terms of the wider world that was a very you know that was uh very distinctly that i mean it's also worth noting that that uh jackie weaver who played um mm. uh the 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 matriarch of that crime family and uh you know was nominated for yes. the academy award for that role um, had also been seen as uh, 
geez, I want to say like a, a sweet kind of Doris Day kind really? of figure in a, in a you know in a in her classical phase too. So she was also not someone that one associated with uh, significant acts of evil. <laughs> um, but that became, uh, you know, obviously that that was very defining and that cast something of a shadow over what followed next. For people who haven't seen that movie yet, obviously I, I join many others in recommending they do, but I want to ask you, what was it about that character and the way you played it that, you know, as you, if you could sort of step outside yourself and look at it, why did that go over so well? You you really made it and uh, a character that is not soon forgotten. David was Michaud, who wrote and directed it, was completely instrumental in being able to describe a person that was um, very damaged and um, thinks that they are doing something really constructive and holding a family together um, but is uh, incredibly dangerous and incredibly disconnected Um, I think if I'm to step outside of that what's effective about that role is that that guy does not seem like he's in the same room as the other people Mm -hmm. Um, I remember when we were doing the uh, the ADR, the the, the dialogue mm-hmm. recording over some scenes, um, and that I I saw that I um, uh, that was very that was a happy moment, right? Because that guy did not feel like he was in the same room as the other people, and that was disconcerting. Given the degree of power that he well was wielding in that family, totally. And I gathered that there was perhaps one scene in particular that, first of all, audiences don't forget, but also that was difficult for you. One of the most menacing scenes that he performs, or that you perform as him. Can you take us back to that? Are you talking about the drinks scene? Is that the one you're talking about? Which, or are you talking about the 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 girl? The girl. But I mean, if the other one is no, it's it's they were both very difficult scenes actually. Um, David and I uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, had a difficult moment during the um, the filming of the the drinks for the the brother scene, which is probably the one that most people um, quote back. Really, you know, do you want a do you want a certain type of a drink? Uh, scene, um, but the scene with the girl was really. <clears throat> um, Animal Kingdom is about uh, a crime family. The nephew of that crime family comes to live with them. His mother has died. He has a girlfriend, and uh, at some point, that nephew becomes suspect to the rest of the family. He's gone missing. Uh, and his girlfriend comes over to visit him. My character, Pope, opens the door and welcomes her in, and I'm there with my brother, uh, my younger brother, who's uh, who's a bit loose and, and not... No, he's not a menacing guy, but Pope definitely is, and he tells her that she's going to be back soon. That scene was awful. Um <clears throat> I think that there are scenes that are the most difficult scenes to shoot as an actor are scenes where you have to have great passion or you have to visit great violence on someone, um, including fight, just general fight scenes, because you're going to be doing a very specific type of a dance with someone and um, you need to make sure that... um, you feel like you can do what you're supposed to do and that you're not actually um, um, you're not actually hurting the person that you're going to be working with so yeah look I felt very um, <clears throat> I felt very uh, uncomfortable about what we had to do but at the same time I was um, excited to make the scene work I thought we had a good chance at that 
If anyone's ever seen Deliverance, Ned Beatty um, is the recipient of uh, a very iconic scene where he's told to squeal like a pig. Mm -hmm. I watched the DVD extras of that. The actor that plays that hillbilly said, and he's so correct in this, it's, it's, it's incredibly instructive. He said, the reason that scene is so powerful is it's because Ned Beatty said to me, you go wherever you want to go. You go wherever you want to go, and it's fine. And so that guy went for it, and it's extraordinary. But it is always on, I think, the person that is um, going to have the stuff visited upon them as to how well those scenes might work. Sure. Because if there's someone that is um, can deal with the parameters, then, you know then, the, the, as it were, that force can be unleashed. Interesting. And it's understood that, you know, you're going to go there. Well, so that movie couldn't have gone over better, not only in Australia but internationally. And I wonder, it, it seems like that is what catapulted you to this more international career. Oh, there's no doubt. It's not, yeah, there, there's no doubt that it is what catapulted. There's absolutely no Had doubt. Had that, though, always been... A hope or an ambition, or had you been content being a top actor in Australia, but not necessarily known outside of Australia? No, I wasn't happy with that, and I wasn't happy with that after a while because it became such uh, a deal. It became like um, that kind of uh, recurrent question of, "Hey, this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy are all the why? What's up with you? Why Do you mean you? that these others had come yeah, to America? Yeah, and you know, and people who were your friends and colleagues. Yeah, friends and colleagues, etc., yeah. etc. And um, and what's up with you, dude? You know. Um, <laughs> uh, so I had been coming here for a very long time, but. Um, with uh, with nothing, uh, no job certainly to uh, to particularly show for it, and I had pretty much by that stage come to terms with the idea that well, it wasn't gonna. You know, I was I was turning forty, I think. It, I turned forty the day that film finished. And which film? Uh, Animal Kingdom. Oh, okay, part so of that, it. yeah. So that I turned forty the day after we wrapped, and you know, at that stage, I had pretty much come to terms with the idea that. I mean, maybe I could, you know, maybe there would be something or other I could, you know, get. But it wasn't going to be, you know, I'd get a job. Yeah. And, and the job would probably pay better than it did in Australia. And that was great. But that was the parameters of, you know, my hopes and ambitions. And I didn't expect Animal Kingdom to do it. I mean, I'd done... Um, that was a very good year, actually, Animal Kingdom. I'd done a bunch of jobs back to back and, you know. But I'd, I hadn't... I didn't have hope uh, that, um, you know, it was going to translate. I mean, I'd gotten beyond that sort of point. One of the questions that I I wanted to ask you was, was during those leaner years, or some years were leaner maybe than others, but how low did it get at any point? Were you ready to walk away from this at any point? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. I mean, it, it, but, but it, it wasn't... Look, it was just a case of being sensible, really. It wasn't like... Um, I mean, I, w I was into... I did have a sadness about it, but I also kind of felt like, well, look, you know, I had a great career. I had, um, you know, I, I'd seen it, I'd done it, I'd lived it, and, and you know, it was, it was over. It was in the past, and, it, and, you know, I had a lot of years left to live, and what was I going to do? That's you know? what I was actually going to ask. What would you have done? I don't know. I um, I thought about just getting out of it, uh, you know, getting out of the business entirely. And then, you know, people had said, look, you, it's, you shouldn't get out of the business entirely. You've spent so many years, you know, you know, you know a lot of stuff. You should do something or other in the business. But I didn't know. But I, I didn't have, uh, I mean, I'd done other jobs. I'd worked, I come from, um, you know, a half working class and a half sort of intellectual family. So I'd done plenty of sort of jobs before. I'd worked in bakeries. I worked in a slaughterhouse. I'd, you know, I'd done bar. I'd done, you know, I'd done stuff. And I just figured, oh, well, I'm going to have to go and do something else, yeah. you know. And I don't know. I, I mean, I would have driven a truck. I yeah. would have done whatever. Um, How soon after Animal Kingdom did it become clear that 
suddenly things had shifted. They hadn't shifted suddenly. It, it took uh, it took quite a long time. I mean, there was a stirring. There was definitely a stirring. But I think the first thing that happened was probably. I want to say it must have been like six or eight months, or a year, something like a year or so after it came, it came out, and that was just I got a phone call out of the blue from um, Joel Schumacher asking uh, about trespass, um, and that was only because they had. Um, this often happens, by the way, with uh, with us Australians that. Our break, as it were, will often come because a film will be in production or about to start, and uh, for one reason or another, they'll have they'll run into a casting issue. You know, someone will drop out, or and that's what happened with Trespass, and um, um, and so that became available, and uh, it was Nicole, it was Nicole Kidman that um, had said. You should watch Animal Kingdom, wow. Joel. And, uh, and you and guys have did. worked together back in Australia or known no, each other? No, we've never worked together. Really? Nicole and I had never worked together, but we knew each other. Um, I mean, we all sort of, you know, if you're from a certain vintage and you've worked uh, a bit in Australia, then you're generally going to know most of the other people sure. of your vintage. Um but um, she was also someone that had said to me a very long time ago, "Don't uh, if you're going to do it, just don't stop, just keep going." Um, Meaning to to like don't give up, don't give up. And would she have recommended to come to America and just? Oh yeah, no, no, yeah. she she uh, she did, and it may seem strange looking back on it now, but when she had first come over, which was the period after um, Dead Calm. Mm-hmm. She had uh, talked about coming over and nothing, just, you know, listening to the tumbleweeds rolling down the street and being ready to go and then uh, getting a call about, um, I think it was from Dustin Hoffman, if I'm remembering correctly, to do Billy Bathgate and then on it rolled. And my other great hero is... um, is, Naomi Watts, mm-hmm. who was here for a very long time and was not someone that, you know, was thought of, you know, particularly at all. And then wow, she was very much yeah. thought of, and, yeah. and, and it's an extraordinary... Uh, I mean, boy, it's a killer role and, yeah. a, and one of the great films of, uh, you know, recent times. Um so I had, I had good heroes, yeah, yeah. if you like, yeah. for that. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Now, when you started now making films here in America, which let's just mention, I guess, and I'm assuming these were made in America. I don't remember exactly. I don't know where your scenes were shot, but I would assume... Chris Nolan, Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, although that was shot in uh, that was shot in England. Okay, so maybe the way to frame this is more Hollywood. Absolutely, but there's no doubt that that's a Hollywood movie. No and doubt. Exodus, Gods and Kings with Ridley Scott, and yes. I, you know, just to recount a few of these that that happened in the in the last few years, and then one that I definitely want to ask you about because it's going to kind of lead into Mississippi Grind, I guess, is Derek San France Place Beyond the Pines. Yeah. So these are all of a sudden things were. We're picking up here, I guess. Yeah. And uh, were you? How did you acclimate? And also, just on a the most practical level, were you ready to? Did you have your American accent down? Uh, look, I mean, I think uh, I think largely I did. But here's, I mean, if you want to think about what's telling here, I um, did um, killing them softly. Yeah. Now. There is no reason for that guy to be Australian. But Andrew Dominic and I are best friends and have known each other for a long time. And um, and because I would have sat around a kitchen table, um, you know, aping... Uh, 
just <laughs> cracking wise and right. carrying on. Andrew uh, didn't think I could do an American accent, so he had the guy as Australian. I was quite confident. You were ready to go. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt like, but there you go. So it really was, I think, I think it was really placed beyond the pines uh, that I felt afterwards, mm-hmm. like... Yes, this was something that could be done, yeah. but I didn't feel that way, you know, ever going in. And I often don't. I often, you know, I mean, you. These are things that you're very aware of. Mm-hmm. If you're going to act in an accent, yeah. you are. Uh, you hear what you feel, you know, feels like a wrong note, and but, you. Oh. <laughs> but it's a it's a trade off because you have to be able to move inside that accent, but. Basically, I got to work with some good people, I think, for Accent. And, um, you know, so they had my back to a degree. And, you know, it's something that uh, I've done pretty much without a net uh, since. Well, the previous time I interviewed you, we talked about accents. And you said the only thing that that I, I believe the way you framed it was that the only thing that was more or kind of comparably daunting at, at first was crying right as an actor yeah yeah and why would that why is that because i i guess in the last few years not that i can think of you haven't had to do too much crime maybe in bloodline uh i'm trying Uh, to remember yeah well i'm not i'm not concerned about i mean it's one of those things that i think it's sort of like once you have um you know once you've you've done it if you like it's the riding the bicycle thing there is a degree that you Crying was a big deal because you were either going to be able to do it or you were going to be, you know, pretending pretty badly. And it, it's kind of a naked thing in that way. And it's the same thing with an accent. You either, you're going to be speaking and either you're going to sound ridiculous or, um, you or you're not. It. Either works or yeah, not. that's it. There's no faking those things. Right. You've either got that stuff... Um, you know, or you've either got that stuff down or you don't. Right. And if you don't have it down, it's a real problem. Yeah. I mean, it's a terrible, terrible problem. Right. Um, What's the secret with crying? Uh, I think I, th- I think that's something that's probably, um, you know, it's probably a bit like some of the magic trick stuff. It's It might be something that's better to, to be spoken about to the other <laughs> okay. magicians. Okay. But... Okay. There are, you know, there are there are doors. There are doors that that you can go through. But sure. you know, here's the easiest way to think of it: is there's a certain way people breathe when they cry. Gotcha. And you do a bit of that. You think about a couple of sad things. You let yourself feel sad, and off you go. You know, yeah. there will be things that trigger you. Gotcha. So, as these roles, including Place Beyond the Pines, were picking up, you now get this opportunity to do a regular role on television, regular as opposed to something like Girls where it would be... Yeah. So my question is, were you or people who advise you, I don't know, uh, were there reservations that this is not maybe the move to make when your film career in in Hollywood is starting to pick up? Yeah, look, I... I, um, um it didn't feel that way at the time. It felt like um, a very... Um, it didn't feel that way. It's come up subsequently. But <clears throat> for some time now, the, the quality of... Um, the quality end of television has been extraordinary. So that, that idea um, seems to be... Uh, something of an old-fashioned idea and also mm-hmm. i wasn't you know it wasn't um i wasn't doing big action vehicles or stuff that you know was a, a, about my name above a title or anything like that so it wasn't in that way it wasn't like a risk or anything mm-hmm. it was more of a um if anything if it was going to work it was going to work really well because it would be a significant role in something that um uh, you know, in some cases, more people would see, would be around for longer, et cetera, et cetera. Why do you think it worked so well to the extent that I think you got some of the best reviews of your life? You got the Emmy nomination. It's now further uh, expanded your fan base in the industry and just among folks out there. What What is it that makes Danny and uh, 
the show is so special? Family is so universal, and the situation of the black sheep appears in just about any family, I think, that, that one cares to think of. There's a... Um, it's incredibly powerful material, and, and those, the creators, the Kesslers and the Zellmans, um, are incredibly good at being able to get in the heads of those different characters and enunciate them. And, um, I mean, if, you've, if Sissy Spacek's your mum <laughs> and Sam Shepard's your dad... And you can't make that work, then... (laughs) Time to hang it up. Yeah, Yeah. it sort of is, in a way. And, I mean, Danny Rayburn, uh, of the Rayburn family, (laughs) is a a real gift. He's the eldest son who's a black sheep of the family. Now, that's a bad double act. (laughs) That's a really unfortunate um, double act. Right, right. They just, they write really well. And if they write really well... And also, I've gotten to the point... In the last several years, I don't personally think I've become a, a, a better actor, but I probably am more at ease. So I probably burn less energy off the field mm-hmm. than, than, I, than I once would have. Was your job impacted by the knowledge that the audience gets at the very beginning that your character has passed away and that and also was the way that people received the show impacted by the way it was put out to the world via Netflix where the experience of watching it is different than in yeah. any other way so for those yeah. questions yeah. I think both of them both of them do it's hard for me to say about the the first one as to whether we know that he's uh, killed mm-hmm. um or whether we believe that he's yes. killed. Um, <laughs> because thank God we have heard you are back for season two, as I you said. I am, in fact, in so the midst I of it. Yeah. Can't wait to hear how that happened. But. Um, <laughs> but I think that you see in the first several episodes, people making a lot of fuss about Danny yeah. and people being pretty hard on him. And for a lot of people, that feels a bit out of whack with what they see. Now... By the time you get through that series, there are there are a couple of pretty strong reactions. One is he deserved it, and the other is he didn't. <laughs> um, I think that the way with the streaming, which is essentially uh, the the box set experience, mm-hmm. if you like, mm-hmm. that you get with Netflix has really profound implications for the way those guys write. Okay. They never have to retickle you. So you do get the opportunity, if you like, to get a little more um, Dostoyevsky. You mm-hmm. get the chance to be able to really do a long, long format um, character piece. And if you think about some of the modern, you know, highs of cable... And you think of a, the Soprano family characters, mm-hmm. they're rich. Yeah. You, you know those guys, and you, and you know a lot of facets of them, but they are, you know, they are very richly drawn characters. So I think we, you know, we, it, it's not, it, it's territory that we know about now. You know, you, you know what president bartlett is like you know you you know you have a strong feeling you've got a connection with these you know don draper is someone that you know you know you know you know these people you've been with them for a long time so i think that is the real payoff and television is essentially a writer's medium Mm -hmm. so it just means that you know the geniuses of writing can get to do their thing and at the end of the day drama is writing it is the writing that's what you play as an actor well somebody uh, i think it was olivia wilde may have been somebody else that was just recently interviewed said that they think that television today also has changed the audience's willingness to tolerate bad or let's just say more complicated not immediately likable characters because otherwise you're under pressure to get people to sign up and roll with you uh but now if it's going to be drawn out over a you know long series that 
can be consumed in this way. Perhaps you can people don't have to like you right away. I think that um, the 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 bar, as it were, got raised on both sides mm-hmm. of that equation. I think that audiences demonstrated that they were up for it. And I think that for a long time there's been a large section of an audience that have yeah. been up for this. I just don't think that without pre-cable there was an environment where that was plausible yeah. to to go down these difficult very difficult characters. I mean, Tony Soprano, for instance, has to be, you know, I mean, what a terrible, terrible dude. (laughs) And yet how beautiful and how flawed and how, you know, just what a lovely guy as well. And and so that level of complexity... um, but the time, it's yeah. the time factor you get to spend with them. Um, you know, you've had your Vito Corleone's and your Corleone family, and you can see that, the, the conflict going on there, but never the level of frailty and the minutiae that, that you say had the time as with the Sopranos. Now, I just say the Sopranos because, uh, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the real... Uh, the holy trinity if you like of um of the television shows which for me personally yeah, is the wire yeah. the sopranos and west wing yeah. um it's because you know the the sopranos is the most uh, intensive character piece and also the most well no the wire's also got incredibly difficult characters but it's a more sociological in its um uh, in its uh, in in the way I think it looks at the world. Um, well, you anyway. definitely do get to kind of know every side of a lot of these guys, and I think I told you in the previous interview, and I'm going to mention it again because I just get such a kick out of it. Is that even right down to the way that Danny holds his beer, <laughs> dangles it? I now cannot go to a bar without imitating, you know, the little. <laughs> just I love dangling. that. I love you know, and that's. It's just such an endearing, interesting. I don't know if it means anything. I don't know if I, I, I think it probably that you've you've either consciously I don't know thought through why you do things like that, but it's just imprinted on on my sick brain, I guess. But uh, oh, it's one of the great compliments I've ever been paid is your observation of Danny's beer beer bottle holding, and I I I, I mean I'm I love I, it. But I hope you bring it back. That was. <laughs> that was a great part of it. If he uh, if he gets to drink more beer, I'll uh, yes. I'll be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now the thing that that kind of brings this back to the place beyond the pines where we said we were going was that it was the way that Mississippi Grind came about because Lynette Howell and Jamie Patrickoff, who had produced the earlier film, were also producing the newer film. Yeah, that had something to do with it, but I. My understanding of it is this, that that um, that uh, that Ryan uh, Ryan Fleck and mm-hmm. Anna Bowden had watched um, Place Beyond the Pines, uh, and they had uh, they had assumed that I was a Schenectady actor, a local guy that Derek had found right. and hired. Right, um, and. Um, Derek disabused them of that notion and um uh and then they then I met with them they and they offered uh they offered me um Mississippi grind now I don't think the Jamie and and Lynette producing it yeah. did did me any um right. any dis right. you know any harm in in that proceedings but that's what they told me and I've um uh, you know, I like that story sure. too. So, um, yeah. So I think that's um, that's it. Is the experience of working with two directors and for people who need a refresher? These guys did Half Nelson. They did Sugar. They've done you know real, and they've kind of got a reputation as really actors, directors, and people that actors like working with. What's what's the experience for you as the actor like working with? multiple directors how does that even just practically work well i I think you know it's whoever wants to tell you what you're supposed to do gets to tell you (laughs) what they're supposed to do but i think it was something that i feel like was i was able to um 
get better at, at the um, the three of us coming to something better because I would get say a piece of direction from Ryan and then I would see Anna sort of fretting in the background and I would be like oh no something's wrong here there's something else going on there's something that I'm doing that I, and you know I, look I just I try and ask a director you know if I've got the patience and and whatnot is there anything that you would else that you would no like if you could have your dream mm-hmm. what else would you know what else might we try so mm-hmm. I do try and throw it out there for um um you know for experimentation because I think that once you walk away from the scene and the day they're done and you never get to do them again barring some you know disasters Mm -hmm. so you I uh, look I'll try anything to get a (laughs) to get it um uh while while we're there so it's unusual but I mean essentially they would decide how they wanted to direct and they've got a pretty hands off approach really most it's unusual for a director I find to get to really get in there and sort of dictate how mm-hmm. things should be. I think most of the time that um you will offer something up and then hopefully you'll refine or improve what you've got going on. So what was your way of working independent of any particular and guidance from them what was the way into this guy he's sort of reeks of desperation i think that's inherent to the character but what how did you make him somebody that people would want to and and do enjoy spending whatever it is two hours with yeah i i don't know i mean i guess the first thing is that's not something that that i think about consciously but i do think that's something that they had written I think if you are focused on someone, then you usually can't help but notice things about them that that in some way resonate with you. If you spend long enough time with just about anyone, you're going to see the humanity going on. And, and, um, and, you know, Jerry was... uh, Jerry was a beautiful loser. Jerry's not a Jerry's not a nasty loser. Jerry's a beautiful loser uh, who... I think most of the time forgets that he, you know, I think he's able to forget what's going on. Um, Most people that are in difficult circumstances don't pull back the frame that wide, you know, and and I think that's the case with Jerry. I think he's, you know, thinking about the next card that's going to fall or the next hand, and every now and then the frame pulls back a little wider and, you know, this is a guy that's really not in a good place, no. uh, that, that is out, got money out here and there, that has got um, destroyed relationships within his family and has, you know, from what, what we can guess, lives alone with a cat, that he's not, you know. Um, so... I I think it's really just play the scenes really and and the rest of that stuff will hopefully take care of itself but that tends to be the way I think about that stuff I I guess you get a vibe but I think it's like you know if you've had a a couple of different boyfriends or girlfriends mm-hmm. in your life right you've had a couple of different relationships mm-hmm. then you know you are essentially the same person but depending on the other person you're with this relationship comes between you and it's a sort of a separate entity from you or them. Well, it's the same sort of thing with acting or a script. You can look at it and it can be something, but until you sit down with the other actor in this situation, then the characters really start to live because they actually start to live differently depending on who you're with. And it sounds like you really hit it off with Ryan Reynolds. Oh, what a champion. Well, first of all, that movie doesn't get made. Without that guy, that movie doesn't get made. I think his gifts are profoundly underrated. I think his his sense of timing, his uh, his incredible ear, because you don't get timing and response like that and nuance like that without having an ear that is hard tuned. And I still think that the ear is the the uh, the most significant. 
uh, part of acting, yeah. the listening. Um, he was incredibly easy to get along with, incredibly easy to get along with, incredibly gracious, fun. I mean, he's just someone you like to spend time around, so it's very easy to jump into Jerry and the magic world of Curtis. And <laughs> is this guy, is he even real? Is right. he... I mean, what's going on? But whatever's going on, it's good. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, and was there, as a last question about that, was there one scene that you found most challenging? I remember the, I saw it in Toronto. This is now back in September. And a few of them that, you know, when you're in your ex-wife's home, there's that. There's a few of them. I just wonder for you, which, which uh, was the most interesting to play or challenging? Oh, I think there were there were a couple. The the um the stuff when Jerry returns to his uh, to his he ostensibly drops in to see his wife. It's sort of like the horrible flip side of when uh, you know Robert De Niro's character goes to see his wife and kid in um, Midnight Run, yes. and it's beautiful and it's incredibly poignant and it's full of longing and sadness. Jerry goes to see his wife. <laughs> And, yeah, there's none of that. It's a very different situation. Um, But they're both desperate. They're both desperate for money, and they both really, really need uh, something. One of them can enunciate it to a degree. The other one can't. Um, uh, The stuff in the bathroom stall, I think, for me, was the toughest. We were... It was a difficult time. It was just... That was a tough scene. That was a tough scene and a tough day. But we had some epic nights shooting. I mean, we yeah. we were going all around the south and we were just like... Um, we were almost like strange synthetic robot <laughs> beings by the end. I mean, we'd, we'd been on the road a lot. We were doing night shoots. We were, you know, in the Holiday Inn in Mobile and, you know, waking up there. I mean, it was pretty... It had a sense of the surreal about it. Mm. Um, yeah, that. But I think by the time we were in, uh, that was in Baton Rouge mm-hmm. that we shot all that that casino stuff and the stuff that ends up being at the end yeah. of the um, yeah. casino voyage. That was a tough period, uh, and um, and th- these were all live casinos too. They really? were all oh yeah, they were fully functioning, happening casinos. And people just stay out of your way, or you guys? Well, shut- they they would block off yeah, a bit, yeah. and I mean, actually, you know what? People really generally, they generally people are pretty good when there's a. I mean, I'm surprised and forever grateful to the people that witness filming that yeah. they don't sort of run interference more often than they do <laughs> because. You know, most of the time people are pretty cool. Interesting. Yeah. Well, the last question is this. If we were having this conversation just, I guess, something like five years ago, right before (laughs) Animal Kingdom, uh, and I told you you would be an Emmy nominee, you would be working opposite Darth Vader, you would be this... Allegedly. 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 I don't know if that's... Oh, maybe I will. Anyway, go on. Okay, okay. Go on. Well, at least in that universe uh, (laughs) of Star Wars. And, you know... Having a day like today where I just came from a, a, a lunch that's essentially in your honor with a lot of people who are kind of power players in this business, who know who you are, who respect who you are, who are fans of yours like I am. What would you have made of this? if We're only talking five years ago, right? Yeah. I would have figured that the alarm was going to go off fairly soon. <laughs> I was going to have to get up and go to work somewhere. Right. <laughs> Well, I don't think that's going to happen, and I just uh, hope that you'll, you don't uh, stop anytime soon. It's a lot of fun to watch, and I, I really appreciate you uh, coming in and doing this. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. 